الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فقال سبحانه وتعالى هو الذي بعث في أميين Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that he is the one who sent amongst يعني the unlettered people which is a reference in tafsir to the Arab منهم from them يتلو عليهم to recite upon them آياته whose آيات the آيات of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala الدحاك he makes tafsir of this to mean this is the Quran ويزكيهم and to make tazkiyah of them and to cleanse them ويعلمهم and to teach them الكتاب والحكمة الكتاب here again a reference to what was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam the Quran والحكمة here as Qatada makes the tafsir of this this is the sunnah this is what is recorded in the kutub of hadith the sunnah a few points First, that the Prophet ﷺ was sent to make tazkiyah, to cleanse us. The way of Rasulullah ﷺ is to educate the ummah, to cleanse them of the diseases that he would see in the ummah. And no doubt that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him to teach us al-kitab, the Qur'an. But with it, al-hikmah, al-sunnah. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, was sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a part of the wahi. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ And before that, لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ And before that, you were in a clear, evident misguidance. Okay? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us many things. I'm not going to go deep into the tafsir of the ayah, but some things that are related to the dars. First, for us to understand that in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, there is a guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us to cleanse us. So when you sit for the durus of the seerah, don't sit for entertainment. Don't sit to look for faults. Don't sit to find clips so you can make yourself famous. La, sit to cleanse yourself. Second, to understand that this sunnah, as we study from the ahadith of Sahiha, is a part of wahi. This is a part of the divine revelation. And this is a part of what Rasulullah sallallahu was supposed to teach us, the kitab and the hikmah and the sunnah. Not just al-kitab. And what is most important to us tonight is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, that verily before that you were in a clear, evident misguidance. And that's why we're studying the time before the time of Rasulullah sallallahu When you don't know the darkness, how would you appreciate the light? In the last dars, it, uh, the recording ended uh, abruptly. So I will, I will recap what was missed, inshallah, so nobody will miss anything. We were discussing the people before the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and we talked about the Dhunawas who had killed the man who had tried to يعني, uh, do wrong with him and he had become the king of Yemen. 
And here we get to a hadith that is reported in Sahih Muslim. And this hadith is a famous hadith. Usually you can Google it and find it under the boy and the king. Cartoons were made and things about it. But it's authentic hadith. And one of the beautiful things about this is that it ties in those akhbar, those the news that we have from the people of the past with what the Prophet ﷺ, from his explicit, his own words, he told us. And it's from Sahih Muslim, so there is no, and of course other books of hadith have recorded it as well, no doubt to the authenticity. Kana Malik, Fiman Kana Qablakum, Rasulullah said there was a king from those that were before you. And he had a magician. And so when the magician became old, he said to the Malik that I have become old. So go find to work for me, a young man, so I could teach him this magic. In the explanation of this hadith, the ulema explained that this silsila, this learning of magic has been around since the time of Fir'aun. And this was from the religion of Fir'aun. In Islam, we don't, we don't deal with these things. We don't go to fortune tellers. We don't go and try to get news from jinn. We don't try to put ta'weez and break up families and make people fall in love and all these kinds of things. The things that go on, this is shirk. This is a Fir'auni shirk. We don't believe in amulets. We don't believe in, in, in if you're a Virgo and if you're a this, if you're a cancer, if you're, may Allah protect us from cancer. <laughs> if you're a Aquarius or I don't know, whatever else shirky things they've come up with, then this will happen. And if you were born in this month, all this is kufr. Even if you go to somebody to learn about this in entertainment, for the sake of entertainment, you don't believe in it. 40 days your salah is not accepted. We gave the adilla and the last durus. But this is the importance of this. So this magician, he was teaching the kufr. And he wanted to continue, so he needed a talib ilm, he needed a student. And the one he got, as clearly mentioned in the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it is Abdullah ibn Thamir. Abdullah was a young man, he was an intelligent man. He was not Muslim at this time. I mean, this is people who were upon originally the religion of Musa alayhi salam, Yani bin Israel, but they had deviated. As we see, yani today we see people who call themselves Jews, they, they claim to be adherents following Dawud and Musa and Suleiman but you see Kabbalah and you see all this uh, Ganbala, whatever, right? all this stuff that they have made up from magic and, and practices of taking live chickens and throwing them over their heads and things. Even everything that they find, like, like they have a strict dress code. You have to wear a certain type of hat and certain material and certain this and, and little lingerie looking sandal things that they hang, whatever they're meant. But if you ask them, was that politically not correct? Okay. Uh, if you ask them, where did you get this from? Did Musa wear something like this? Did, did the Torah bring this? No, the, a Polish king ordered him. <laughs> I'm glad you're... And following Polish kings, right? But, but that's not the religion of Musa alayhi salam. That's not the religion of Dawood alayhi salam. That's not the religion of Suleiman alayhi salam. So like that at this time, even though this was the ummah of the time, but they had deviated. So now Isa ibn Maryam had been sent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Isa ibn Maryam. And those that now stuck to the old misguided ways, they were no longer Muslim. 
And those that followed the true message of Isa ibn Maryam, those were the Muslims of the time. So this is that time. Isa ibn Maryam has been sent. But these are the people that are still learning magic and so on. So Abdullah ibn Thamir, he is sent to learn magic from this magician. On his way to learn, he sees a rahib. A person who was upon the religion of Islam. Because that is the religion, the prophet of the time was Isa ibn Maryam. And he would teach people knowledge. But at this time, they would do this secretly. Why? They didn't have enough ability to fight jihad, for example, to defend themselves. They didn't have the ability to speak openly or they would be tortured and killed, as you will see. So what they would do, they wouldn't give up the da'wah, but they would do it secretly. And he would sit and he would teach people Kind of on the side. This young man would cross by him. So when he would hear this alim, this person of knowledge, this rahim, this person of zuhud, teaching the things from the kitab of Allah that was revealed to Isa ibn Maryam, the Injil. Not the Greek distorted things that they have today, but the original message of Isa ibn Maryam. He became attracted. And then the da'wah, when it's on the haqq, it has an attraction. You don't have to sell out for it. And you don't have to uh, give up the sharia for it. You don't have to bring... Like, look, 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 um, look at this masjid. Look around you. Young brothers. MashaAllah, people that it's a Saturday night, they could be out partying. We don't have to bring rappers here. We don't have to have a dance here. These brothers coming from LA, some coming from North San Diego, some brothers, some brothers coming from the Bay, from all over. Why? Can we stick to the kitab of sunnah? Allah brings the people. So here this man, he would teach them, so attracted the young man. The young man, he would sit and listen, he liked it, but his job was to go and learn this magic. So then he would go and learn the magic. Of course this became difficult. You can't be in two boats. And he, there is a time where you may not know what is true, so you try to listen to the truth, and, but you're still kind of caught up in your own jahiliyyah. But that can't last. One brother gave a good example. Uh, he said, it's like putting your feet on two boats, right? In the beginning, when they, when they start, you'll be okay, you'll be able to balance. But as they start to go down their path and they split, sooner or later, you will fall. You got to get on one or the other. Haq or batil. The kitab was sunnah or selling out your religion, right? You can come around the brothers... And talk all this stuff about man, me and Salafiyya and this and that. And then you can go somewhere else. But sooner or later, if they even know you hang out with the right brothers, it's not going to happen, bro. Right? Got to make your choices. So this young man, he needed, he was having the same problem. He had to make a choice. He told the alim, the rahib, he told him, look, when I go to the, the magician, he gives me a hard time. When I go to my people, they tell me, where were you? So the rahib told him, I'll tell you what, do Tawriya. And he's saying, don't lie, but say, which will get you out of the situation. If you, when you are leaving, I'm sure your people talk to you. So when you get to the magician, tell him my people were talking to me, I got late. Which is true, but he's still hiding the fact that he met the Rahim. And when the people ask you, tell him I was busy with the magician, which you were. So he did, and that lasted for a while. But again, like I said, you can't be in two boats. So, he wanted to make a decision. What happened? He saw a huge yani, animal. 
Some people say lie and think, but we don't have any hadith. Daba, يعني, uh, a, a large creature, al-azima, in the hadith as mentioned, that was something that scared the people, it blocked the way. So this man, this young boy, he thought, let me, let me see who's on haqq. He took a small rock. He said, oh Allah, if that alim, if that rahib is on the truth, let this huge animal be killed or removed because of the small rock. And if not, then I'll know. So he said, in the name of Allah, he threw it, and Allah showed him a sign. And that huge monster that was blocking the path was killed, and the people's way was open, and the people were shocked. Like, how did that happen? And the young man said, khalas, I mean, that's it. This is the truth. I'm going to stick to it. So he started to study more, and he started to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he told the rahib, the rahib told him, Anta Today you have become better than me. And that's the humbleness of a teacher. And he said that now what will happen, he told him. He knew from farasa, from his foresight, from his knowledge. It's not that he knew the future. But he knew how it works. When you start to become popular to be upon the truth, you will be attacked. Right? And, and how? It will come in the hadith. So he said, now what will happen is they're gonna, it's going to come to the test, it's going to come. But so don't show them where I'm at. Keep my location secret. Now, every time we mention this hadith, a little doubt comes in your mind. Shaitan, of course. Comes every, you know, he's sitting here with you today. He tells you, oh, this rahib, he was scared. He was a coward. He didn't, but that's not true. And you will find out in the hadith. But why did he do that? Because he had a da'wah going. And he didn't want the da'wah to stop. He knew the fitna would come. He knew he would be put on trial. And he wanted to keep the da'wah going. And sometimes for the sake of the da'wah, you have to keep things secret. Rasulullah when he would travel from his sunnah, that he would not tell people where he's going. Many times. In jihad and sometimes other than that. And sometimes like in Tabuk, he would actually give misinformation. Because that is from the hikmah of knowing what the enemy is planning and how to save yourself from the shah. So here, this young man, he continued to gain knowledge and he continued to give da'wah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him a sign where he would make dua and people's diseases would go away. He would, they would become better by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at that time, there was a jalis, yani somebody who was very close, like a wazir, like a close person to the malik, to the king. And the king here is kafir. And this man, he is a very close advisor, confidant, somebody who is very close to the king. But he became blind. This advisor to the king became blind. And when, when you lose something like the, like the bounty of having sight, and those of you that can see, subhanAllah, here, thank Allah for this bounty. And you will try anything to get that back. I mean, nothing is fun. When you imagine you lose taste, imagine if you lose hearing, like, like we don't appreciate these bounties from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this man is going around trying to find uh, some way to get his sight back. So he goes to this young man, who people tell him that this man, he's doing miracles and things like this, and he tells him, cure me. He told me, I cannot cure you. But if you believe in Allah, if you bring iman upon Allah, then Allah will cure you. And subhanAllah, look at the beauty. 
the, the, the Sufi goofies, uh, the, the people of Bid'ah, they always want to call towards themselves. This Shaykh, he can turn water into, I don't know, urine or whatever. Uh, they, you know, they, they always have these like strange things, you know. Uh, he, can, he can fly and do backflips or whatever. Who cares? Any call towards Allah, not towards peers and this and things like this. Don't go and say, oh, I have such this relation. I can do this. I can do that. No, say Allah can do it. The people of Tawheed, the true awliya of Allah, they will all call towards themselves. They will always call towards Allah. So this young man, he didn't say, yes, you got the right guy. But I need a special musk. It costs $20,000. And then I will take a special pen that only I can handle. And then I will write you a special taweez, which nobody else can see. And then from my great status, I will ask them, subhanAllah. Look, call towards Allah. You cannot do anything, I cannot do anything. Right? So this young man, he said, Allah can cure you, but you have to believe in Allah. He's giving da'wah. So this yani, uh, person who was an advisor said, if you can cure my eyesight by the will of Allah, then of course I'll believe in Allah. He said, okay. He told them about Tawheed, he told them about Allah. He brought Iman on Allah. And from that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cured him. Allah is Qadr. Allah gave him his sight back. Now, he goes back. He's with the king. Again, he was, from the, he was, he was in the 1%. He was from the, the, the swamp, whatever you want to call it, right? And he was there. So the king sees that this man who was blind can see. He goes, wow, how'd you get your sight back? He's like, uh, I, w- I went to this boy and, and, and then, you know, I, I made dua to the Rabb. The king's like, what? You have a Rabb other than me? People of Kibber, like, I mean, you're somebody who when you get sick, you can't cure yourself. When you got to go to the bathroom, you run right? <laughs> and you make such claims. Ajib. But the king, he was, he was shocked at this. So he told him, you have a Rabb other than me? He told him, yes. Qala Rabbi, my Rabb wa Rabbuka and your Rabb. I mean, this is not, you, you don't realize it, but Allah is your Rabb. Allah is the Rabb of, is not just Rabb al-Muslimin, Rabb al-Alameen. Allah is the only one worthy of worship, the only one that can be worshipped. We are all ibad of Allah. We are all slaves of Allah, whether you know it or not. You could be a kafir, you could worship an idol, you could worship whatever you want, but know in reality there is only one Allah. And know in reality that Allah controls your life. And know in reality you have to go back to that Allah. And know in reality that all those other things are, are you know they're false. Because you take a rock and you, and, you, and, you, and you chisel it and now you go worship it. And then it falls. You know that's not rub. People worship cows. There are burgers to be made. You know those aren't. It's not an ilah. Allah is the one who's always hay. Alladhi la yamut, the one who never dies. So he tells him this, now, now this king, he becomes upset. And subhanAllah, this is a sifa. This is a quality of the people of dunya. They will love you until you're on the truth. And when you call towards the truth, khalas. Your best friend is now your enemy. Thus he became Wahhabi, I don't know what happened to him. He, he, got, he became this, he became that. We should get his wife divorced, we should leave him, we should do this, we should do that. Uh, you know, all this stuff, why? 
This because you want to believe in Tawheed, this because you don't want to do shirk, this because you don't want to sell out, your best friends will become your enemies. If you want to know who real friends are, speak the truth and you'll find out. Right? We get messages all the time, you know. We'll, we'll do this funding, we'll do this for you. Just don't talk about Qadianis, just don't talk about this, just don't talk about Shia, just don't talk about this. You know, we don't need anything from anybody. We're going to say whatever we want, you don't like it, turn to channel. You know, there's plenty of other things you can watch. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed this man true iman. So he told him, no, I'm not going to leave my religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me my eyesight back. Do whatever you want. He said, tell me, where is this boy? He told him, no, I'm not going to tell you. But he tortured him. And people have a breaking point. He broke him. Until he told him where the young man was. So they brought the young man. And this wazir, he is, so, he, is, he is killed in front of the young man. He dies on Tawheed. And the young man is told now, where did you learn this from? Looks like you've become a big magician. He told him, no, it's not magic. This is from my Allah, it's not from me. He told him, what Allah? What are you talking about? I'm the king, I'm the Rabb. He told him, you're nothing. So he told him, who taught you this? He said, Rahib and Alim. So where is he? I'm not going to tell you. But he got tortured as well until he gave him up. And the Rahib now, that Alim that was teaching is now captured. And he, again, like I said, some, it's not like he knew the future. This is from Farasa. Like sometimes people who study Farasa, people who study these things, they will tell you something that people think, oh, you're like a fortune. No, it's not that. But there are things you learn from experience. There are things you learn from the Quran. There are things you learn from the Sunnah. There are things... That, that you realize because you've seen it go. So the Rahib, as he knew it would happen, he was now captured. And the king tells him, leave your deen. And he, he told him, no, I'm going to stick to my deen no matter what. And that shows you that he was a brave man. He was not a coward. It's not that he was afraid. The king told him, we'll cut you in half. We'll saw you in half. Tell him, do what you like. Now that young man is standing there. And in front of him, this Rahib, he is killed by being sawn in half, alive. Imagine that. Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, another hadith, in Mecca, when they were being tortured and hardships were coming, he told the Messenger sallallahu aren't we on the haqq? Where is the Nusra of Allah? Rasulullah sallallahu he was leaning against the Ka'bah, he got up. And he told him, before you, there were those that their skin was ripped off with metal combs and those that were cut in half and they did not leave the haqq, the truth, the religion but you are impatient. This is Ka'b who was being tortured in Mecca in the streets. These Sahaba were being, look, look at, at during that time Yasir and Sumayyah were killed in front of their, their son Ammar, in the hot desert, imagine a woman, Sumayya, imagine your mother, tied up in front of a bunch of men, and they take a spear and put it into her privates, and kill her in front of you. But you still stick, imagine the hardship, and today, we are ashamed of being called a name, like, oh, somebody called me a name. <laughs> Brother, can I shave my beard? Why? People look at me funny. What's wrong with you? 
Look at what the people before us went through. This man is cut in half. He doesn't leave the truth. Here the man, the young man now, the ghulam, he sees this event in front of his eyes. The king tells him, leave the religion. Look what happened to him. Same thing's going to happen to you. He told him no. When the iman comes in the heart, khalas, yani, nothing, can, nothing can distract you then. Otherwise, you can have a million excuses. He could have said, I'm saving my life in Sharia. It's halal for me. It's true. But when that iman comes in your heart, khalas, yani, you don't care about any excuses. Nothing tastes like knowledge once you love knowledge. But if you don't, if you've never immersed yourself in it, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. The young man, the king says, let's make an example. Take him to the mountain. Some of the narrations, they mentioned that there were 500 soldiers sent with him. But we do know the, the large amount of soldiers, no doubt, were sent with him to the mountain. The king said, throw him off the mountain, make him an example. We're going to kill him in such a way that people will see him ripped apart, falling down, and they will say, oh yeah, we don't want to be on that, right? They make their makar, they make their plans. But every time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan comes true. So they take him to the mountain. This young man, his dua is accepted. He has that iman. He asks Allah, oh Allah, free me from them in any way you see fit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shakes the mountain. Every single soldier dies, but the young man is saved. Subhanallah, a miracle. Right? So now, he could make hijrah, he could leave, but no, he goes back to the king. How you doing? I'm back. <laughs> King's like, what's going on? Right? Subhanallah, now, here the king should have been like, okay, it's a clear sign. Every soldier, all of them died, just this guy lived. Khalas. I mean, it should have been a means of guidance, but the people of Kufr always make excuses. You know, that was like, show us a sign. When you see a sign, then you're going to make an excuse about it. The kuffar saw the moon split with their own eyes. They testified, they narrated, they still... Many of them still didn't become Muslim. Musa, they saw split the split the sea. Pharaoh didn't become Muslim. His army didn't, they saw it. You know, make some excuse like the kuffar of today. Abu, whatever name is. So it's a low tide or something. So, now, the king tells him, okay... It was a fluke, it was a natural disaster, had nothing to do with divine intervention. Take him to the Bahar, to the ocean, to the sea, and throw him off a boat. Soldiers armed up, they went. He made dua to Allah. Allah subhanahu wa raised the water, shook the boat. All the soldiers fell and drowned, except for the boy. He goes back to the king. He tells him, how should I kill you? <laughs> You're hard to kill. He tells him, I'll tell you what. If you want to kill me, I'll tell you how to do it. Right? Gather all the people, get an arrow, and say, Bismillah, yani, by the name of Allah, Rabbil Ghulam, the Rabb of this Ghulam, the Lord of this young child. And when you say in the name of Allah, the Lord of this child, and then you shoot that arrow, you'll be able to kill me. Now, the, the kafir, because they're short sighted, right? he just wants to get rid of the boy. He just wants to get rid of the haqq. He thinks he can end the truth by ending one life. And I just want to explain this point. The truth is not tied to one person. Like people think we can discredit this one person and the truth will stop. 
It's not the way it works. We have a lot of people right now that think that attacking me personally will stop the da'wah. You can attack me all you want. You can prove me wrong. And I'll even say I'm a horrible person. Take it, right? But you think stopping me is going to stop the da'wah? I'm only one person. There are hundreds of da'at here. There are millions of da'at in the world. Next, if I die tomorrow, somebody else will take the banner. Alhamdulillah. Don't think da'wah stops because of a person. This is the da'wah towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Killing this boy wasn't the answer, but that's what they think. So what did they do? They tied him up. They, did, they gathered all the people, took that arrow. The king says, Bismillah, by the name of Allah, Rabbil Ghulam, the Rabb of this young man, shoots the arrow, the boy dies. The boy dies, he becomes a shaheed. Don't think, oh, he died. He lost. No, he became successful. Do you know, as Ibn Kathir has mentioned, and this is an authentic narration, that during the time of Umar ibn Khattab, the great Sahabi, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Khattab, عنه, during his time in the area of Najran. Najran is in current day Saudi. As I said, in that time, it used to come under the precincts of Yemen. During the time of Umar ibn Khattab in Najran, they were digging and they accidentally, a shovel hit and it hit a grave. And an arm was shown that started bleeding. And a forehead, in some of the narration, they started to bleed. And a body was in this grave fresh. They called Umar. Umar bin Khattab radiyan saw this. And he said, from what I know from Rasulullah sallallahu this is the body of Abdullah ibn Thamir. Now this is hundreds of years later. We're talking about something that happened before even the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu And now this is after the death of Rasulullah sallallahu in the time of Umar bin Khattab. Authentic. Look up at Dhabi ibn Kathir, you can find it. Why? Because the body of the shaheed does not rot. And this is something that has happened many a times, not just once. As Adhabi ibn Kathir and others have mentioned that the body of Hamza radiallahu anhu, 48 years about after he became shaheed in Uhud, in the Khilafah of Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, when they were renovating the area, not knowing exactly where the grave was, they accidentally hit the body and the, and the body of, of Hamza Ratianhu became evident and they said the blood would flow and it would be as if he had drops of water and fresh as if he was alive that day. And this is also for Amr ibn Jamu'a, another Sahabi. And this has happened many times since that in this history of Islam. The Shuhada, they are successful. Before the first drop of the shaheed's blood hits the ground, all their sins are forgiven. And we ask Allah to make us shuhada. Say, Ameen. Weak Ameen. Look at you guys. So, Abdullah ibn, ibn Thamir, he becomes a shaheed. He becomes successful. But what happens now? The people, they start to ask, what happened? They said the king tried to kill him in every which way. They tried to take him up a mountain. They tried to take him in the river, in the ocean, and throw him. Couldn't kill him until the only power was when he said, in the name of Allah, the Rabb of the Lord, this king has no power. It is the Rabb of that ghulam, Allah, that has all the power. All of the people here now, subhanAllah, became Muslim. Ibn Kathir says the awam here in Najran, all of them, they came to Islam. 
except for the people and authority and soldiers who were corrupt and things, like they stayed on their kufr, even after seeing this clear sign. But the masses became Muslim. Now you have a problem. Dhun now he has a problem. He says, he's sitting there as a king and he hears this news about all of these people having become Muslim. And now this is what he was trying to stop. And what was he trying to do? He was trying to stop the da'wah. He only increased the da'wah. We see people, this is not something new. And this is not something that will end and it will continue. We saw people make videos, oh, we're going to stop the da'wah. They came, da'wah only increased. Alhamdulillah. And that's the way it works. So now, he gave an order, فَأَمَرَ بِأُخْدُود Al-Ukhdud, Ashab al-Ukhdud, as mentioned in Surah Buruj, this is the same incident. It's in the Qur'an, it's in Sahih Ahadith, and it is mentioned in Kutub al-Tariqh, Sanadan, and even non-Muslim historians have records. If you look this up, the names in, in Latinized ways, I looked this up earlier in books of, of uh, the Yahud, the, the Jewish historians. They gave all the names and all of that. Right? So what happened now? They dug ditches, trenches, and lit fire. And they, they would tell somebody, which religion are you? Are, are you upon the religion of worshipping the king or worshipping that Allah? And if you said the king, they would let you live. And if you said Allah, as all of them did, they would throw you in the fire. Now imagine, when, when you are tested today, think back at these people. They are seeing people being burnt alive in huge ditches of fire. And even though it's halal for them to hide the religion, the iman has entered the heart such that the words of kufr can't come out. Bilal radiallahu anhu, when he was being beaten, he would be ahadun ahad, ahadun ahad, they would beat him. The Sahaba later asked him, why didn't you just say what they wanted to say? It would have saved your life, it would have halal for you. He said, I couldn't. I physically couldn't. My lips wouldn't say the words of kufr, I couldn't come out. He said, how come you didn't say anything else? You just kept saying ahadun ahad. He said, that's all I knew. That's all I knew. But look at the iman. Today we memorize kutub and Quran and this and this and you sit next to some kafir and you're like, yes, you will go to Jannah too, or different paths, yes, yes. <laughs> Subhanallah, as this is going on, there is a, a mother. And a mother loves her child. Every parent, father and mother loves their child, but and a mother has a special place. And especially a, a small child, an infant child. So now this mother, her children, her other children are thrown in the fire in front of her. But when it comes to the infant baby, she becomes hesitant. Right? A little shakiness comes. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here shows a miracle. An infant nursing child that no way could speak. Hasn't even started the gaga guga phase. Subhanallah here, that child speaks clearly. And he tells his mother, Isbiri, be patient. For innaki, for verily you are al haq you are upon the truth. In some of the narrations, the child actually speaks and tells the mother that don't worry because after this is Jannah. So here now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows this miracle, this mother's heart 
is now at ease and her and her infant child are thrown in that fire, but it saves them from the eternal fire. Enters them into Jannah. Shuhada. Everybody is killed except for one man. And his name is Dhu Thalaban. Dhu Thalaban. His act, this is a kunya or a laqab in a way. But his name is Daus. As some of the ulema of tarikh said, his name is Daus. And he escapes them. He escapes the soldiers. He gets on يعني, a riding animal and he has ability to get through sandy areas and so on. He escapes. Now he is following the Islam of the time, which is what? The religion of Isa ibn Maryam. Okay? And this is now centered in Sham. Okay? Even though at this time, they already started corrupting the religion. But there were still those who were upon Tawheed. And this is not something, I mean, even if you look in uh, the, the tarikh of, of the message, the Risala of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the time of the Tabi'un and Taba Tabi'un, you already had corruption. You already had Mu'tazila and Jahmiya and these things corrupting. But there was those that were upon the Haqq. That's why we don't just follow the Salaf, we follow the Salaf, the Salihin. Right? So now, is a very early time, but you're already getting some corruption. But these were people that were still on Tawheed. So this man, he goes now to Sham. And in Sham, there is a king who is supportive of that doubt. So when Dhu Thalaban goes and tells him what happened to people who are upon the same religion, the king becomes upset. But for him to mobilize an army now against the king of Yemen, Dhu Nawas, uh, from Sham is a long way. So he says the king of Habasha. Habasha, people say Ethiopia, but Habasha was actually bigger than that. A large part of northern Africa was all under Habasha, including current day Ethiopia. So here the king of Habasha had also converted to that religion, the religion of Isa ibn Maryam. So the king of Sham, Malik al-Sham, he writes a letter to a Najashi. Qaisar is the name given to the kings of Rome. Kisra to the rims of kings of Persia. And Najashi is a laqab, is a title given to the kings of Habasha. This is not the same Najashi as we find in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa But this king of uh, yani, uh, uh, Habasha, he is given a letter saying that this happened in Yemen. And Yemen is close to you. And he's just a little, see, you cross, you're there. And Habasha was very strong. The kingdom of Habasha was very strong. He told him, handle it. I mean, they're killing people upon our religion. And they are upon the religion of Ben Israel, which is now expired. Now is the time of the religion of Isa ibn Maryam. And they are torturing those that are on the top and massacring them. Go and support them. The king of Habashat Najashi, when he gets this letter, he sends his top general. You know what his name was? Anybody? Najashi is the king. Abraha? No, but close. Aryat. Aryat was this very strong. Physically, I was reading his description. He was very physically strong, stature was strong, but he was a very cruel and fahsh, uh, lewd person. But, you know, military generals, a lot of them, they're like that, right? But he was a very strong military commander. And with him, who was sent? Abraha. 
Kutub al-Tariq sometimes mentioned that they were both generals sent. And Abraha obviously will become, and he's mentioned in many ahadith, and, he, and we'll discuss him more. But actually the main general, as Tariqh al-Tabari was writing, and Ibn Kathir and Bidah, the, the main one was Aryat. Ibn Kathir even says, no, Tabari even says that Aryat was sent first, and he had some problems with victories, so Abraha was sent as reinforcement. Okay? Either way, both of them were sent to Yemen to conquer. And when they went with a very strong army, they started to battle the forces of Dhu Nawas. Dhu Nawas was defeated. And then Kutub al-Tariq discuss about different battles, even non-Muslim historians discuss these battles and, and, and victories and Aryat and his victories and Abraha and his... Abraha now was physically a heavy-set man, smaller in stature, but was very intelligent. Yani from the historic reports, it is said that he had hilm, like he was very... Uh, patient. So now Riyadh and Abraha both there representing Najashi, they defeated Dunawas. Dunawas is killed. According to a Tabari, he rode his horse into the water, into the ocean, and he basically killed himself by drowning himself. He didn't want to be taken as prisoner. Ibn Kathir says he was killed by Ariyat. Either way, Dunawas is killed. Now remember Dun Nawaz from the earlier when the one who stuck the knife in and killed the now he now this is his end. Now Aryat and Abraha are both pseudo governors under the authority of Najashi ruling Yemen. And Yemen was a beautiful land. May Allah bring it back to its prior glory and free it and make the affairs there better for the people. They're going through a great hardship. May Allah make it easy for them. It was very green and had a lot of flush gardens. And, and he, if we read the, the, the tarikh of Yemen, it was, it was a beautiful and very prosperous place. So here, Aryat, he was very cruel. And, and the kutub of tarikh have written that he killed one third of the men of Yemen. He would, he would like, when he would conquer a place, he would just massacre. Genocide. And he would take one third of all of the women as sex slaves. And we're not talking about like Ghana'im where you take a Ghanima and she's like a part of your household. No, this is like the way the Romans and others who used to do. And until today, how Kuffar do, even if they say one thing, but they do another. Right? We talk about Geneva Conventions, we talk about prisoners of war and their rights, and all these nice sounds so good. Oh, you guys are so backwards with Ghanima and all this. Look, the Geneva Convention, we, we want to give cake and, and cookies to all the prisoners of war. But then what happens in Abu Ghraib? What happens in Gitmo? Oh, 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 um, oh. Oh, those aren't prisoners of war. What are they? Why are you having dogs bite people's genitals and you're torturing? What, what, what is that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah they, they, they don't count. Gang rapes and things in Abu Ghraib. Oh, oh, we didn't know. Oh, well, they were putting those pictures on Facebook. But you still didn't realize it? Islam doesn't believe in nifaq, hypocrisy. We say what we do and we do what we say. So the, the, Ariyat was, was, was a very uh, cruel and, and a, a very, you could say, a serial rapist. When they would take women, it wasn't like, okay, she's with you. No, they would pass those women around amongst the whole army and... Horrible, horrible. It's very hard to even read. 
And he took one third of all of the children and one third of the women and sent them as slaves to Najashi. And he was continuing to massacre and rape and things. And Abraha, he didn't feel like Ariyat was handling things correctly. So they had a conflict. Who was going to lead? How was it going to go? There was a big conflict. So here, their armies, because there were those that were loyal to Abraha, and there were those that were loyal to Ariyat. They were about to have an inner fight, a battle between them. Here, Abraha tells Ariyat, I'll tell you what. We're all, we're all from the same people. We're all serving the same king. We're all from Habasha. Why should we have a big old bottle? Soldiers will get killed in the middle. Why don't me and you just duke it out one on one? We'll fight. If you kill me, khalas, my soldiers will give back to you. They will be loyal to you. And if I kill you, then your soldiers will come to me. And, and the honor of Habasha will be preserved. Aryat said, that sounds good. Like, like even the kings and, and, and the people of the past, they were brave. Like today... Kings and presidents all sit in their little towers and, you know, war rooms and hidden and they have the young poor people go and fight. They don't have the, you know, you didn't see Trump or Biden or anybody on the battlefield. Right? They just sit there and give orders and, and poor kids from different areas, villagers, they go out there and fight for nothing. What, what did we, America fought in Vietnam for what? Iraq was for what? Afghanistan was for what? What changed? But nobody asked the question. But here, Ariyat and Abraha, they, it's very interesting, they, they chose a place where there was water on the side, so you couldn't escape, and it was just the two of them. But Abraha was intelligent, and he, he was uh, tricky. So he had one of his soldiers. Atrada uh, is one of the names given, and there are some variations given about him. But he was one of his soldiers, he was hiding in ambush. So Abraha told him, look, you just hide. If I win, it's all good. But if I start losing, shoot an arrow, kill Ariyat, so I can be safe. So he planned ahead. The battle started. Ariyat was physically very strong. He was big. So when he swung, he hit Abraha and hit him very harsh where he cut part of his forehead and his lips and his nose. He disfigured him. And that's why historically Abraha is called Al-Ashram. Al-Ashram, the mutilated. Because at this, his lips and his nose and things were cut from that first strike from Ariyah. And Abraha fell. But he had this trick up his sleeve. His soldier, Atwada, he shot the arrow and Ariyah died. And Abraha became victorious through a trick. But he became victorious. So Abraha now became the king of Yemen, still under the authority of Najashi. Now, now, this news gets back to Najashi. And Najashi is furious. I sent these guys to go and take over for me. And these guys are fighting amongst themselves. And Najashi had actually put Aryat as the main general. And now, so his main general, without his permission, and he, in mafia terms, he was a made man. <laughs> You couldn't just call that hit. And Abraha did. So, Najashi became upset. He took a qasam. He took an oath. He said, I will walk on the soil of Yemen and step on the head of Abraha. He started to prepare a huge army. He is now going to attack his own general. And in Yemen, he's going to cut off the guy's Abraha's head and walk on his head 
on the soil of Yemen. He takes a qasam. He takes an oath. And now he's moving. Abraha gets news. And he is scared. He knows the power of Najashi, the, the, the strength of, of Habasha and the army. So, in a very intelligent move, what does he do? He takes lots of slaves and servants and gold and, and, and fruits and whatever was considered as wealth, cloth and everything of, that he could get. And he sent them as gifts to Najashi. When you give gifts to kings, you earn their favor, right? And he sends him with him a, a message. He tells him, look, I am your slave, I am your servant, I am your humble general. As Ariyat was, I am. And Ariyat, he was causing problems that would not allow us to rule. He was too harsh, he was too fahsh, too much zulam, uh, oppression. So for the sake of Habasha, I got rid of him. But as he ruled under you, I will rule under you, what does it matter? And as he sent you gifts and, and, and he sent you everything from the wealth, I will send you more. And as for your qasam, O great king, fulfill your qasam, fulfill your oath. Abraha, he shaved off his head, his hair from his head. And he sent that. And he sent dirt, soil, dust of Yemen. He said, put this down on the ground, put my hair on it and step on it. Your qasam is fulfilled. Najashi, he's like, how much wealth was there? A lot? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> as long as the taxes go up the chain, we're good. Right? So, he takes the dirt, puts it down, puts Abraha's hair, steps on it, shows the people, I fulfill my qasam, and he lets Abraha rule. Abraha now wants to please Najashi. Najashi now is upon the religion of Isa ibn Maryam. Now the religion, as I said, day by day is corrupting. People are making up things. So here, he decides to build a church, a place of worship. And he wants to make it a splendor, beautiful, something unseen before. And he wants people to come to it. He wants Yemen to become the center. But the Arab, they tell him, there is a place that was built by Ibrahim. The Kaaba in Al Mecca. And that is the place of Hajj. That is the place of worship. That is the place to go. Even though at this time the Kaaba now has been corrupted with idols. But this Kaaba is still holy. It has been yani, uh, disrespected with idols. But that doesn't mean that the place is no longer holy. So now he says, Why should people go to Mecca? People should come here. We're going to build a Kaaba here. Right? And this is not something strange. You know, after the, 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 the event of Islam, of Rasul, yani the message of Rasulullah how many people have tried to build fake Kaabas? You can go look at them, the Badin in Sindh, in Pakistan, they built one, yani a hood Sufi saint place on a Qabr, and they built it and put the same thing, and they would trick poor farmers and things and things like this. How many people around different in, in Qum or in uh, Mizar Sharif or in uh, Naj Sharif and this Sharif and that Sharif, everything Bid'ah Sharif, I don't know why, right? So, yani, they, they tried so many times, but they can't. Because that is chosen by Allah. So here he decides to make a place. And they call it Qullais. Qullais 
comes from the word Qulansuwa. Qulansuwa is the proper Arabic term for the hat. Right? People call it today Kufi or Taqiya or Topi or whatever Pakol, different types and styles and things. But in actually, in, in Fusha, this is called Qulansuwa. And, and different types have different names. The book I wrote on the Imama, I gave some of the different ones and, and if they were on the ears or so on, what the name. But Qulansuwa was the term. And Qulais came from it because it was so huge that when you looked at it, your hat would fall. The Qulansuwa would fall off your head when you were looking up at it. That's how big and glamorous it was. And that's what's called Qulais. And Qulais later in Arabic came to be a name for a strong building. But linguistically, that's where it came from. And he built this and he told the Arab, now you will no longer go to Mecca. Baytullah no more. Now you will come to Qulais. And Al-Qulais will be the place of Hajj and the place of your Hijrah and the place of you coming and the place of you bringing your, your, your sacrifices and all of that. Even if you're on shirk, he didn't care about that. He cared about money. Okay. So he built this. Now, from the Arab, they had Ghira. I mean, they had an honor for the Kaaba. So from Banu Kinana. Banu Kinana is a tribe that if you go up in the lineage of Rasulullah sallallahu you will find it as well. From them, there was a sub-tribe called Banu Malik. And from Banu Malik, there is a sub-tribe called Banu uh, Fuqayim. Fuqayim or Fuqayim. Banu Fuqayim is from the sub-tribes of Banu Malik, from Banu Kinana. There was uh, a few people and they came to the Qulais. But they didn't come to make any hajj there. He came to disrespect it. Now, when Abraha saw the Arab coming, he was happy. He opened it up. He let them stay there and things because he thought they were coming to change. But these people, they came to disrespect it. And there are different narrations about what they did there. The most common and uh, well-known one is they defecated. But they didn't just defecate there. They took that feces, and they smeared it all over <laughs> as a disrespect to those that were trying to build something in competition with the Kaaba. Now, Abraha, <laughs> when he came and saw this, the next morning, the day escaped. Like, they were out by the night. They did their vandalism and they were out. When Abraha saw this, it infuriated. And he made this beautiful thing and now they disrespected in this way. He said, why? He said, because the Arab, they love the Kaaba. He said, Wallahi, I'm going to destroy the Kaaba. He took an oath, I'm going to destroy the Kaaba. Now, the Arab will obviously want to defend the Kaaba. So he said, he sent a letter to Najashi and said, I'm going to prepare an army. Najashi, when he heard about what happened, he supported the idea. And he said, I will send you 70,000 soldiers and I'll send you a super weapon. I will send you the tanks or drones or whatever you want to say of the technology of war weaponry of that time, which were elephants. What is correct according to the ulema of tarikh is there were 13 elephants sent. Now the Arab, they had no idea how to fight against elephants. Horses and camels and those, they were good, but elephants were not native to the Arabian Peninsula. And elephants are huge. And the super weapon of that, the most advanced, was one called Mahmud. 
and this was the leader of them, and this was the biggest of them. Now this army is set from Najashi now to Abraha, and then Abraha, well, we'll talk about it in the next verse, inshallah, he does.